anything? What do you think, Paul? Yay! It's good to see everybody. Um, we have a prayer request uh, and an announcement to make, so we're going to start out with a prayer. Um, Brother and Sister Sarton have asked me to remember their grandson, Jordan Blake Painter. Um, he's in Labonner Hospital. He had a four-wheeler accident. He's had some uh, arm uh, issues from that, and um, he's in a sling. He's going to have to go back for a little bit more, and uh, so we want, they want us to remember him. So we're going to do that in prayer. And while we're at it, we're going to remember Brother Gail Holder. Um, and also, um, there's a family at the Center Hill Congregation, some of you know them, Michael and Allison Eskew, and uh, they had a, a baby boy this past week, and uh, they are having some troubles with that baby boy. He is also in Labonner. His name is Noah. Um, kind of a similar situation to what we had with the Leaths and with Myatt, and uh, God answered those prayers in a good way. So uh, I'd like for you to remember them also at this time. This is, this is a hard time for a young couple, and... Uh, Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And thank you for every blessing that you give us in this life. And Father, uh, we come before you with uh, some requests at this time. Father, we ask that you bless Jordan Painter. Father, we ask that you, uh, first of all, we're thankful that he was not injured worse in this accident. But we ask that you bless him in his recovery. Bless the doctors that work with him. And Father, we pray that he will have no lasting effects from this arm injury that he has. Father, we pray for Brother Gale. We pray for the situation that he's in. Father, we are not getting good reports, but Father, we know that you are the great healer, that you're the great physician. Father, we know that all things are possible with you. And Father, we continue to pray for good, good results and, and for things to turn around. Father, we also pray for that family at this time, and, and we pray for uh, their comfort and for their peace of mind at this time. Father, we pray that you will instill stronger faith in each one, that they can realize that you are with them, that you care, and that you're in this process with them. Father, we pray for Michael and Allison. We pray for Noah. And Father, you are watching over that situation also, and Father, we, we're asking that you bless that child. Father, we ask that you make him healthy, that you would um, help him through this process and be with his parents and his rest of his family members that are watching over him and they're anxious about this. And Father, we thank you for allowing us to bring these requests to you. Father, we thank you for the answers that you give to prayer. And Father, help us to trust what we receive in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, uh, Paul, Paul put me on the spot there. He kind of talked me up about tonight's lesson. And by the way, uh, Paul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Trumpism right now. And I'm going to say that the crowd tonight is like 10 times bigger than this morning, at least, maybe 20. It's quite a crowd here. You can't see it from there, but I can see it. Okay, James 1.17. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. Everything good that you know of, everything good in your life, everything good that you can think of is a gift from God. 
He wants you to enjoy that. You guys been enjoying these pretty days we've been having? We've had some beautiful days. I know some of y'all had some good days. Let me tell you about my day yesterday, all right? I'm going to tell you about some blessings that God put in my life. So I got up yesterday morning, and I had my cup of coffee, my two cup, three, cup, three cups of coffee, had my bananas and my cereal, and I was just enjoyed my morning tremendously. Everything was going so well, and it was beautiful outside. I got outside and had to clean up a little bit. Got all the little teenagers coming to the house tonight. My wife said clean, so I'm cleaning up the driveway. Blowing the leaves off of my deck. And you know, it, they haven't fallen very hard yet, so that was pretty easy. It really wasn't bad, and I kind of enjoyed that. And it was, it was nice. Felt good. So after that, 11 o'clock, I, uh, I went to my granddaughter's soccer game. And I sat out in the sunshine, and I sat with some friends from church, the Cokers, and they were watching their daughter and granddaughter participate. We visited, and we talked, and we watched these kids, and the sun warmed us up, and it was really nice. And then I left there, and I went to my grandson's football game. And same thing happened there, and we were sitting up there, and we watched and enjoyed it. The weather was beautiful. By the way, I got to see, like, the most amazing catch in the world, probably the most amazing catch there's ever been. If you're a football fan, you may remember that years ago, Pittsburgh Steelers um, had a, had a uh, catch made, and uh, it was Franco Harris, and they called it the Immaculate Reception. Anybody remember that? The Immaculate Reception. Well, this was better than that. Maybe ten times better than that. Uh, my grandson, Sutton, so they set up this play, and he's on the end, and he's wide out, and uh, he runs down that sideline, and he gets behind the defense, and he runs across, and he cuts to the middle. Right about the time the pass is coming, he grabs that pass out of the air. He turns, and he goes about five yards as he's tackled crossing the goal line. Did I tell you that was my grandson? So, it was amazing. Best catch I've ever seen. Left there, and I went golfing with two of my friends from church, Zach and Kylie Coker. Had a great time. Another blessing from God. The weather was wonderful. I enjoyed the company. They paid for my golf. I got a birdie. I got some doubles, but those weren't from God. Those are from Satan. <laughs> I left there. I stopped and got me some fish at Murdoch's. And I went across town and I joined Randy and my in-laws for a fish dinner. Beautiful day. Wonderful day. All blessings from God. Well, you know the interesting thing about that is anybody could have had a day like that. Anybody could have had a day like that. The world looks at that and they think, so what? And so what is really the right answer? God has made this world for us. God created us and put us in this world. You go back to Genesis and you read the, the account of creation and everything he created, he said, is good. It's good that I put that there. And then he made us and he said, it's very good. And he put us here. Everybody gets to enjoy some blessings from God, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. And there were people at all those activities that I was at yesterday that were not Christians, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that a lot of those people at those ball games were not in church this morning. I'm pretty sure a lot of those people were not reading their Bibles this week. But you know what? They were enjoying some of the same blessings I was. They were enjoying their family. They were enjoying sports. They were enjoying the sunshine. 
people on the golf course enjoying that. There are blessings for all people that God has given. But the ones that are really special to us as God's people, that sets us apart, that makes us different, we find in Ephesians. And, and Nate read this just a minute ago, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and the key words are, in Christ. Everyone in the world can benefit from God's goodness, and they do, because everything good was created by God and put here for man's enjoyment. But there are some special blessings reserved for those who are in Christ. And these are the, the best blessings of all. The things that I talked about that I did yesterday, if you really look at that, all those things are temporal in nature. All those things are gonna fade away someday. They're going to be no more. But the blessings in Christ are forever. The blessings in Christ are for eternity. They're for us now, and they're for us later too. And so that's the things that we want to talk about. And, and the book of Ephesians is talking about blessings that we receive in Christ. It's talking about blessings that only Christians are, are uh, privy to. He starts off by saying these all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And he gives, a, he gives an analogy here that I, that I just really love. It's about a relationship that he, that he has with us, that he's created for us. And he puts it in human terms, but it, I just love the way he does that. He gives us three little examples here in the verse, verses following. First of all, in verse 4, he says that as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, we are chosen. God chose us. Does that make you feel good that God chose you? Well, God chose everyone, actually. But the blessings are only reserved for those who are in Christ. But he chose a long time ago, before the foundations of the world, he chose what that would look like. He chose what he wanted his people to look like and how he wanted them to act and how they would receive those blessings and how he would interact with them. He chose you. Have you ever been the guy on the playground that didn't get chosen? Isn't that a lonesome spot? Have you ever been the one that was the last one chosen? That's awful, the last one chosen. God chose us, and he made us special, and he has a special relationship for each and every one of us. We don't have to worry about whether we get chosen or if we get chosen or when we get chosen. God chooses us, and he did before the foundation of the world. And he chose us what? That we should be holy, that we should be without blame, and that we should be before him in love. And then he gives us another example, and he, I like this one even better. In verse 5, he said, he, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He adopted us. He took us as his own. He took us when we were still sinners. He took us when we didn't look so good. He chose us for adoption before we'd even done anything to deserve it. He looked at us and he said, that's what they need. And I'm gonna set up a system where I can adopt them and they can be my children. He wanted us that much. 
You know, I love that relationship. We have people in this congregation who have adopted children. And I think it's amazing. You know, you think of a, a, a parent and child relationship and that bond that's there. But I don't know if there's anything greater to show God's love than the word adoption. Taking them for what they are, giving them everything that you have, that's what God does by the good pleasure of his will. And then in verse 11, in verse 11 he says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. He gives us an inheritance. Romans 8 talks about this. It's one of my favorite passages. And in Romans 8 it says basically the same thing, that, that we are adopted, the spirit of adoption that takes us in, and that we have an inheritance. And he says that uh, in Romans 8, he says that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The relationship that God wants with us is a precious relationship, and we should think about that more often probably than we do going by my own standards. We need to realize what he's done for us, and he, he offers us a full inheritance. He offers us his name, and he offers us his family, and he wants to take us in. Look at the next point, uh, the next blessing that's in Christ. In verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness of sins. I'm sure if I, uh, if I said Acts 2.38, who knows what Acts 2.38 says? I'm not going to ask you to quote it. I'll quote it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is our go-to verse as Church of Christ, isn't it? That is the one that we learn from a young age, and we use that over and over. And we can rattle that off, or I can rattle that off, and you probably can too, and you know in your mind what it says. Forgiveness of sins, remission of sins. If you repent and you're baptized, you get remission of sins. But what is that? And what did that look like? And why do we need remission of sins? Sometimes, sometimes I wonder if we realize how badly we need remission of sins. I was raised in the church. I've been in church all my life. I've been in Sunday school classes. I've been in meetings. I've, and you know, if you're not careful, you can get the idea that, uh, yes, I need remission of sins, but you know, I'm doing pretty good. It's not that big. You know, we need to appreciate what God has done for us in taking away our sins. We need to appreciate where we come from when we're in sin, how ugly sin can be. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. First of all, if you're in sin, you're dead to God. God doesn't want you to be there, but until you do something about it, you're dead in sins. You're dead to God. He can't save you in that condition. He goes ahead and he says, In times past you walked according to the course of the, of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You ever feel like you've been a children of wrath? 
a child of wrath? Is that you? Do you even think you could come from that? Let me tell you what else he says. If you go down to verse 12, he talks to the Gentiles here, and he's kind of specific to the Gentiles, but it's, it's a context that we can understand. If we're living in sin, if we haven't had our sins forgiven, then that's us too. But listen to this language. At the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without a God in the world. Strangers from the promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's what having your sins around your neck, that's the position that you're in. Now the thing that is interesting to me is when he says, without a God in the world. That doesn't necessarily have to make you an atheist, although it could be. You may believe in God at some point, but I think that can be people who are just living their lives really without giving God much thought. I think that's people who are living their lives and they're not putting God into their relationships and into their decisions and into their everyday life. If you're not putting God at the center of your life, if you're not trying to include Him and incorporate Him in the things that you do and the way that you live, you know, you're kind of like without a God in the world. You're living the way of the world. You're living like the world would have you live. There were a lot of people enjoying God's blessings yesterday that aren't thinking about Him today. It doesn't have to be terrible things that you're doing to be without a God in the world. You can just be neglectful. You can just be doing the things that you want to do. You can be living for yourself. And you can have, be without a God in the world. He's trying to describe to them the, the condition that they were in, how bad that can be. And when we're in sin, when we live in sin, when we're not following God's commandments, then, then that's a terrible place to be, being without a God in the world. If you go back up to verse, finish verse 3, he said, you are by nature the children of wrath. The next verse brings a lot of hope. He says, but God. And that's a great phrase there, but God. The condition they were in, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. And then he's got in parenthesis, for by grace you have been saved. And so we see from these verses that God is rich in mercy. He's great with love for us. And then he's got grace that's included in what he has for us. Grace is a great word. Grace is a word that, that we all should like because grace is what God has done for all of us. We could not be saved without that grace. In verse 7, he says that in the, rich, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is a gift. What's the greatest gift anyone's ever given you? Is it the one that you like the most? Is it the one that costs the most? Is it the one that's the most useful? I can think of gifts that I've received that I wasn't very impressed with at the time, but when I figured out what they did and what they were about, I just fell in love with them. A great gift. <clears throat> Sometimes 
People in the world don't know what grace is, really. They talk about grace. Sometimes they don't realize exactly what grace does. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, if we don't give some thought to it, we don't understand exactly what grace does. If we can't appreciate what sin does in our life, if we can't appreciate how sin can destroy a life or keep us separated from God, then we're going to have a hard time fully appreciating what grace actually does for us. Grace is a great thing. You know, when you talk about grace, somebody else says, oh yeah, but there's works. And he doesn't forget those things. When you talk about works, somebody says, oh yeah, but, but there's grace. And we have great arguments sometimes about which is first or which is strongest or, or which is the most important. They go hand in hand, actually. You can't have one without the other, I don't think. When you look at the rest of the verses, he says, uh, verse 8 again, For by grace you're saved through faith, and that is not of yourself, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so we have grace and we have faith and we have works. And they all have to interconnect. He says that we receive this grace. We're saved by grace. And yes, it's a gift. And yes, it's free. And grace is a gift for all mankind. It's not just for you. It's for all mankind. But he says that that grace saves you through faith. Now, as I see this, grace is God's work. We don't have anything to do with it. That's all on God. And if he wants to give us grace, then that's awesome. We need it. But now faith, that's on us. Faith is our work. And so there's God's work included here, and there's our work that's included here. When we think about grace and we think about works, the way this works, I think, is that we don't work for that grace to come. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we feel like that we have to work for our salvation. Uh, God's gift is free. It doesn't work that way. We should work because of grace. We should appreciate the grace that God has shown and the willingness that he has to, to give it to us and share it with us. And therefore, because of that, we should be willing to work. And that's what he asks us to do. In Christ, we are created in Christ, verse 10, unto good works. All these go hand in hand. When you receive the forgiveness of sin, when you receive the grace, you also receive this thought process that should say, hey, I am so thankful. I am so grateful for what you've done to me, where you put me in life. I want to show you how much I appreciate it, and I want to give you back something. That's how we should look at that relationship. If you go to chapter 2, verse 13, we also find that another blessing that we receive in Christ is being able to come close to God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And he says in verse 18, For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Through the Holy Spirit, through Christ, we're able to come close to the Father. And Spencer's been preaching on Exodus on Sunday nights. And so um, 
One of the thoughts that comes to mind as I look at this, and, and he talks about drawing near, is the way it used to be. Under the old law, uh, they had the tabernacle, and it was surrounded, you know, and the, and the priests surrounded it. And the priests could go in and out, but the people couldn't. And the people could only come so far because God wouldn't allow them to come any closer. And then even the priests, there were certain priests that could go into the tabernacle, and then once a year the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And there was this separation that was always going to be there under this law. But God has taken that away now. God has allowed uh, this, this new relationship to come into place because Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. And he fulfilled the old law and he gave us a new way of doing things. He took away all the old rigidity of the old law. He took away all the legalism of the old law. And he's given us freedom under the new law. And one of the freedoms that we have is to be able to draw near to God. James 4 and 8 says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. We're able now to go to God on our own behalf. We don't have to go through the uh, high priests anymore. We don't have to wait till that once a year. We don't have to make animal sacrifices. We can each go to him on our own. And we can enter into his presence boldly, as it says in Hebrews 4 and 16. Philippians 4 and 6 tells us, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Come to God with anything. Come to God with everything. Let your requests be made known to God. It's one of the blessings that He wants you to have in Christ. And then fourthly, and the final point is this. We receive power to do the things that, that God wants us to do here on earth. If you go back to chapter 1, Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he set him on his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that's named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Imagine the power that was used from God to raise Jesus from the dead. God's great power in raising Jesus from the dead, he qualifies and he says, I want you to have that power. I want that power in your life. I want you to have the power like the power that was used in raising Jesus from the dead, like the power that was used in raising Jesus to the right hand of God, like the power that was used to put all things under his feet, principalities and powers, and like the power that he has as head over the church. Now, we're not going to be those things, but the power that we draw from God is similar to that. As Christians, we should not feel like we're here all alone. We should not feel like we have to figure this all out by ourselves. We should not feel lonely because God is with us and God wants us to know that, that we have power on this earth, power to do the things that he's asked us to do. He didn't put us here and say, You'll, you're going to struggle to get that done. He said, I can help you with that. Let me show you. I want you to have this power in your life. What does that power look like? Well, he, he gave us the Holy Spirit. He said back in verse 13, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased, God's possession unto the praise of His glory. He gave us the Holy Spirit as a sign that, that He wants us to, to know and have confidence that He's with us, as a sign of His power. He left that Holy Spirit with us. I don't know how that works. I, don't, I can't explain that to you, but, but you know what the, the Bible says there, and the Bible says that, that He wants us to have this power in our life. I can define some of it. If you go to John chapter 1 and 12, he says that as many as received him, which is Christ, he gave them power to become the sons of God. We've already talked about that relationship. We had the power to become sons in God by receiving Jesus Christ. I know that we have power over Satan. James 4 and verse 7 says, If you'll resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Sometimes we don't think we have much power. Sometimes we don't exert that power. Sometimes we, we don't use what's at our disposal. We give in too easily. But if we'll resist the devil, the devil will flee. And I know that we have power over sin. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 10, excuse me, verse 13. Um, I was going to quote that. And I'm going to read it instead. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. God puts power in our grasp. God wants us to be powerful Christians and live powerful lives on this earth as witness to Him. He wants, us to, he wants the world to be lit up. He wants us to be salt to the world. These are some things that God has in mind for us. These are, these are some of the blessings that are spiritual in nature. These are all blessings that we see in Christ. These are not blessings that the world really appreciates. You know, God, Paul talks a great deal about mysteries in, in some of his letters, and in Ephesians is no different. He talks about these mysteries. Mysteries, as he relates, these are not things that can't be known. They're, they're things that are only revealed. The world is not looking for these things to be revealed to them. The world is not looking for this kind of thing. They're just happily going along, receiving God's blessings that everyone gets. But there will be a day of reckoning. And for those of us who understand and for those of us who know, we need to be ready to receive God's spiritual blessings. And we need to not only receive those, but we need to appreciate them. We need to thank God for them daily. And we need to put them into use in our life. Let God work through you. Let Him make you the person that he intended for you to be. If you're not a Christian, if you're not in Christ, then these blessings are not yours. But these blessings can be yours. You can make that yours tonight. You can start to receive these blessings even before you go home tonight. If you've given up on some of that, if you've been short-sighted, if you've, if you've kind of been negligent, you can make that right too. If you have a need, we ask that you come as we stand and sing. Oh, do not let the word depart And close thine eyes against the light Poor sinner, harden not thy heart Be saved, oh, tonight Oh, why not tonight? Oh, why not tonight? Will thou be saved?
tonight. Our blessed Lord refuses none who would to him their souls unite. Believe, obey, the work is done. Be saved, oh, tonight. Oh, why not tonight? Oh, 